HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 5th, 2017. This is the 137th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a superstar chef based here in Brooklyn. I'm super excited to have her on the show, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to give yourself permission to take a break. It's okay, or rather helpful, to take time off when you need it and have quote-unquote me time. In an age where everything runs on internet speed, we need to remember to slow down and simply breathe. And take care of ourselves. Hitting the refresh button and recharging can lead to amazing things. So take a hiatus when life calls for it. The world will, will be waiting for you when you return. That's my tip today. Now, as I said, I'm super excited to have my guest on the show. It is Missy Robbins. She is the chef and owner of Lilia, a three-star New York Times restaurant bringing the best of Italy to Williamsburg. Missy found her Italian soul in her five years as executive chef at Spiaggia in Chicago. She returned to New York in the fall of 2008 to be the executive chef of Avoce Madison and Avoce Columbus. While there, she maintained Michelin stars at both locations and was also honored to be one of Food & Wine Magazine's Best New Chefs in 2010. Welcome, Missy. Thanks so much. It's so exciting to be here. Yeah. No, um, this, is, this is awesome. Got you. We've only talked about it for like a year now. We have, but and we may, we're making it happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, busy schedules, you know? Yes. So, Indeed. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, anytime I mention your name to anyone, everyone's like, I love Missy. And that's nice. Yeah. It's, that's it's, so nice. I get this great, <laughs> great response. And I'm always like, yeah, I do too. <laughs> so I like to start out with my guests and find out how you got into the industry and when did you know you wanted to be a chef? You know, it's, I was telling this story last night. I was in an event and I was like, is this story too long? Um, I, I kind of grew up in a family that loved food and travel and, and dining. And I grew up in Connecticut and uh, about an hour and a half from New York City. And all special occasions were always celebrated in New York. We, we would go to fancy restaurants and I was enamored by them. And I was really lucky. I traveled a lot when I was a kid, London and Paris and um, Israel. And we would go to California a lot. And, and a lot of that was always centered around restaurants and Michelin dining. And my parents were really into it. And I was lucky enough that they didn't kind of leave us in the hotel room. They, they brought us, my brother and I, with them. And, but at the time, you know, being a chef wasn't this thing that mm-hmm. was so cool and admired and respected. And I went to college and kind of did a liberal arts education and I was an art history major and sort of thought I might go in that direction. I, I had an interest in going into psychology for a while. Um, and then kind of as time went on, I, I had this sort of epiphany dinner at Charlie Trotter's on, on my November of my senior year of college. We were there for Thanksgiving, visiting my grandmother and celebrating my brother's birthday. And I sat and I ate this meal and I literally said, okay, I'm done. This is what I want to do. And I was, uh, I was approaching my graduate. I mean, I was going to graduate in six months. And I had a friend who went to Northwestern who I grew up with, who we weren't very close anymore, but I kind of always knew where she was and she was cooking at Trotter's. And I was like, oh, well, if she can cook at Trotter's, so can I. And I wrote him a letter when I got home and sort of in the age when he wrote cover letters and printed them out and put them in a mailbox and thought he'd never respond. And he responded and I went and spent a couple of days in the kitchen and I ended up never working there full, full time. I just did that one stage. Um, I ended up starting in, in D.C. in a restaurant right above my college bar called 1789, um, right basically on the campus of Georgetown. And I worked there for a year, and I said, I'll, I'll give this a year, and I'll see what happens. I mean, it was such a foreign sort of territory for me, and it wasn't like my friends were going to cook. You know, they, they were going to law school and med school and off to live in Hong Kong and finance and do really other interesting mm-hmm. things, but certainly not cooking. And I said I'd give it a year, and I, I just fell in love with it and really wanted to pursue it, and I kind of never looked back once I started. Amazing. I do not I do not think I knew the Charlie Trotter story of yours because I mean I'm just smiling because it's like my story when I lived in Chicago post college and I went to a small cooking school thinking I wanted to be a chef and I had Charlie Trotter's cookbook and he was hiring front of the house staff and I went in and I got hired as a server as it was like my dream I, I was like how long did you work there? I worked there about a year. Wow. Um, and I, I volunteered some days to go in the kitchen and help prep. And It was scary in that kitchen. It was scary in the kitchen. <laughs> it was ca- scary being the server of the chef table I'm, in the I'm kitchen. I'm sure. <laughs> um, it, was a, it, was, it was an amazing job. But I, I then realized I did not want to work in kitchens or restaurants the rest of my life. Even though from there I did, I did cook for a little bit at a jazz club as garmage. But... That was it for me with cooking. I then found another direction. But for you, 
you and I also I think I had the idea that I want to go to Europe and cook and and yeah get, and that's you did do I that. did eventually okay. do that I did it in uh, I was about seven years into cooking and I and I decided sort of like you said about the hiatus and I've been fortunate to do that a couple times now which we can get to but I I uh, I had had my first sous chef job and it was a really intense sous chef job um, at a place called the Lobster Club on the Upper East Side and I was 27, 28 and I had never lived in Europe before. I sort of gave that opportunity. I had been accepted to a program when I was in college. Georgetown has its own villa and I got accepted to the program and then kind of decided not to go. I had transferred to Georgetown and I didn't want to give up the time there, which in hindsight was really dumb. And um, so I figured like, this is kind of my time. Like before I get too deep into this, I should really go follow that passion. And I went to Italy for um, just under six months and and uh, traveled and worked and sort of moved around every month and went to a different place. And it was, it was the kind of one of the defining moments of my career, but also just life-changing sort of personally of gaining a lot of independence. You know, it was before cell phones were like part of your attachment. And um, I just, I was alone in this foreign country and learning to speak a language and living with grandmothers above restaurants and things like that. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Amazing. It was a long time ago though, a really long time ago. (coughs) Excuse me. A little something in my throat. Ooh, I got a frog in there. <clears throat> How did you end up at Spiaggia in Chicago? And and also with Italian cuisine. I mean, something that you just were drawn to? You know, I I um you know, you mentioned my Italian soul and, and it's and it's become a really big joke, my best friend and I, because I said it in an article once and she's like, Oh, now you now you think you're Italian. Um I, I, I'm Jewish. I, I, I have no Italian roots, um, Eastern European roots. And, um, but I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, which has a big Italian American sort of culture. And, and I grew up kind of eating that Italian American red sauce food. And that's what I thought was Italian food. But then I also traveled to Italy and that food sort of resonated with me. I mean, I remember this tiny spot in the hills of Tuscany in the middle of nowhere with my parents when I was probably, in my, I think my early 20s, I was in college, I think, and I remember going to this restaurant with a wood fire and eating rabbit, and I mean, I remember it so vividly, um, and Italian ingredients, my mom sort of shopped like a European when I was a kid, so we would go to the fish market, we would go to the Italian market to buy mozzarella, we would go, My I grew up in a kosher home, actually, so we would go to the butcher, I know that. yes, um, it's a true story, I am no longer, <laughs> I am no longer kosher, much to my mother's dismay, but, but I did grow up that way, and so I think that sort of fueled the way we shopped, because we had to go to the butcher, so in turn we went to the fish market, and in turn we went to these Italian markets and I, I was always just fascinated by olive oils and olives and, and the cheeses and uh, the ingredients just really kind of spoke to me. And, and I also just loved the culture of it. And as I got deeper and deeper in it, and after I lived there, um, I, I certainly didn't train as an Italian chef in my younger years. I sort of was in that new American realm and sort of just learning technique and learning how to cook. And I didn't want to specifically do one cultural food and even when I got back from Italy, I was sort of getting a lot of offers to go to Italian restaurants, and it wasn't. I didn't feel like I was ready. Um, and I got the job at, at Spiaggia through a headhunter actually called me. When I came back from Italy, I, I, had, I was very adventurous at the time because I had gone on this journey, and I had said I'll go anywhere. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll go to Chicago. I'll go to 
I was open to pretty much anything. I stayed. I ended up staying in New York. Um, he called me three and a half years later, and he said, you know, have you ever heard of this restaurant called Spiaggia? And my parents had just eaten there. And I said, oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Um, he said, well, they're, they're looking for a chef to work under Tony. And I thought of you. Would you still move to Chicago? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I was thinking at the time of moving to Brooklyn maybe for mm-hmm. some more space. And I was like, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'll talk to him. Um, and it was sort of this, like, instant connection. I, I, I remember the phone call with Tony Montuano, who's the, the founder and chef of Spiaggia 32 years ago and still there. And he's amazing. And we had a phone call on a Sunday morning, and it lasted a really long time. And uh, we just – I had eaten in the places that he worked in when, when he was in Italy before Spiaggia. And we just we just had this connection. And I think I, I had this sort of combination of fine dining in New York and this – having worked in Italy and I also at the time was working in a hotel and which gave me this sort of corporate foundation and Spiaggia is part of a very large organization and you sort of need those business skills on top of cooking skills to run a very big staff and uh you know, apparently he got off. The story goes, he apparently got off the phone and said to his wife, God, I hope she can cook. And he <laughs> flew me out there the next week. And um, I did a tasting for him. And I don't know if you know Tony, but he's the most poker faced person in the world. And with every course, his face just got more and more poker face. And I was like, oh, I'm bombing this. I'm, I'm really bombing this. And afterwards, he, I basically he offered me the job wow. afterwards. Yeah. And I moved six weeks later. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know Tony very well, but you should another, get to know him. He's amazing. I I should. Another small world part of my Chicago experience was before my Charlie Trotter's experience. I had an office job in the building where Spiaggia is ah, on that corner. Yeah, of course. Which I don't know if you will agree with me on this, but I will say that corner is the coldest, windiest yes. corner of Chicago. That's why it was named the Windy City, I think. It's yeah. terrible. Because it's where the Lake Michigan and Michigan Avenue yeah, it's crazy. Like, connect. And so um, so anyways, I, I've always known of Spiaggia. Um, but I never... I, I've met Tony maybe here and there at events, but I will have to get to know him. Um, so from there, you... I mean, you were there for five years. Yep. And then New York, you got a phone call from New York? Not really. It's not, not really what happened. I I moved to Chicago sort of not knowing what would happen. I my mom is from there and I and my grandmother lived there my whole life growing up and my my brothers live there for I think almost 20 years now. So I have roots there. I mean, now the world thinks I'm from Chicago because that's how the media played it when I moved back, but I'm I'm actually from Connecticut like I said and um so Chicago was somewhat familiar to me, but moving from New York to another city, if you're not really ready to leave New York and I wasn't leaving New York cuz I didn't leave New York, I was leaving cuz I got this great job and I thought it would be nice to live near my brother. He he was um he and his wife were pregnant with their first child when I moved and she was born 3 weeks after I got there, so that was cool and it was amazing and and uh I, I never knew it was Tony asked me for a two-year commitment and I said sure and sort of I knew pretty early on that Chicago was not for me but Spiaggia was for me I, I loved Spiaggia I, I we were sort of talking about restaurants that were like the restaurant of like that really made you the happiest that you ever worked and and I would say Spiaggia other than Lilia um is is probably that place for me and and was really a home and Tony and I really had this amazing synergy and he he taught me 90% of what I know about Italian food. I mean, I didn't go into Spiaggia as an Italian chef. I went in as a chef who loved Italian food, who kind of knew what she was doing. And um, 
I, I really turned to him for a lot of guidance in, in understanding Italian cuisine and culture. And um, I, but I knew I wanted to be in New York. And I knew that for me, and, and this might sound bad, for me, success meant being successful in New York. Um, I did all my training here. I'm from the East Coast. It sort of was the, the thing to me that, like, if I never did that in New York and got that kind of um, job in New York, I, I don't know that I would have felt complete. And um, at the time, about three years in, Tony said to me, what do you, what do you want to do? What, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I think I need to, I'd like to go back to New York, but I want to do it the right way. And we sort of decided that, that I would open my own place there. And I was flying back and forth to New York and looking at real estate. And I had no idea what I was doing. And Tony was kind of helping me. What, um, what year is this? Around? 2008. Okay. Um, and I like literally had no idea what I was doing. I was like going and looking at these spaces. I didn't even know what I was looking for. And, um, and someone told me that Andrew Carmelini was leaving Avoce. I was having a very frustrating, <coughs> excuse me, frustrating day one day. I was talking to a fellow chef friend. He said, oh, I just read on Eater that Andrew Carmelini is leaving Avoce. You should apply for that job. And I said, I'll never get that job. And he said, well, you should apply for it. And, and I applied for it, and I moved five, five, and I got the job, and I moved five weeks later back to New York. Or no, that's not true. Sorry, I moved four months later. I, I really, for me, it was really important to leave Spiaggia in a, in a really great position, and so I gave four months' notice, and I started Avoce five months later. Yeah, well... Which was also yeah. life-changing and amazing, and a really good mood, and, and with Tony's blessing, I mean, he... Uh, they came and did a t- tasting at Spiaggia, actually, and Tony was very kind about it. And I had an interview with them the next day, and I came back and sort of told Tony the deal. And he said, yeah, you kind of have to take the job. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, well, and it brought you back here, and that's when, yeah. when we met, when yeah. you moved to New York. So um, that's awesome. I love hearing hearing your background. I obviously didn't know a lot of that. So um, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and talk more with Missy about about her current restaurant project and event she's doing. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Chef Missy Robbins of Lilia in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We were just talking all about your your background, how you 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 got to New York. But let's talk about 
how you went to open your own solo venture in Williamsburg. I mean, the idea that surprised a lot of people, including, including me, including yourself. (laughs) Right. So how did, how did that, how did it come about? And you've, I mean, I love, I love Lilia and it's been, you've received many accolades, including three, three stars, New York times. And, um, it's, it's been very successful. So So far, yeah, yeah. Knock on on everything. Um, No, it's awesome. You know, I, I, uh, I took a hiatus, um, like you suggest in your tip. Um, I left Avoce after five years with absolutely zero plan, which very few people believe, but I literally left without a plan. I wanted to take some time off. I sort of allotted myself. It had been 20 years that I'd been cooking without a major break, and I just needed some space and time, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, part of me was praying for an epiphany like you had that you didn't want to be in the kitchen and that you wanted to do something else and part of me was just hoping maybe to find the right partners and do a restaurant and um, I allotted myself a year off and thought that I'd get really bored after a month and I I left in May sort of strategically because it was the summer and I I really thought, I said, oh, I'll definitely be back. Like, by September, October, I'm sure I'll want to work. And I didn't want to. I, I really kind of loved not working, and I was very good at it. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought that I'd be really bad at it, but it turns out I, I, was, I, I was very good at occupying my time, and I got very healthy, and I shifted my focus to sort of health and mental health and weight loss and eating better and just kind of having a life and being with my family and being with friends and just focusing on other things. And um, in that time, I was meeting with a lot of people, and I was very fortunate to... Um, to get a lot of calls and 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 meet a lot of people new and kind of reconnect with other people that I admired and um, all of those kind of meetings led me to sort of figure it out. I mean, I was very close to partnerships with a few people and then very serendipitously, I, I uh, ended up partnering with my neighbor um, whose name is Sean. We had lived in the same building in the West Village for seven years and he came to me one day. He's he's in finance and he, but with a very strong interest in restaurants. And he had done some consulting with restaurants and came to me and said, "Stop talking to everyone." I I and he kind of knew about every meeting I was having. We would we would kind of rehash them. And he has a, such an amazing business sense. And he would say he said to me, "Stop talking to everyone. I want to be your partner." And I said, "Yeah, no, I, I'm not no. That I don't think that's going to happen." <laughs> um, and he said, "Why not?" I said, "I really have to go back to work. Like I, I, I can't like restart this process." And I was very close on something, and and we kept continuing our talks for a couple weeks, and it just became very evident that he was the right guy, mm-hmm. and um, mostly based on values, purely on we shared very similar family values and and business values, and how we wanted to run a company. Um, and how our roles would be defined, and they were going to be very different. And we really wanted to open in the West Village or somewhere downtown. Specifically, we really wanted to open in the West Village. It was both of our homes for a long time, and um, we just loved it there, and he was raising his family there, and um, and it just wasn't happening. We couldn't find the right space. We couldn't find the right financial space. Um, and this Williamsburg opportunity presented itself, and he asked he asked me to go look at it, and I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to open a restaurant in Williamsburg. Like, I just worked my whole <laughs> my whole career to to open in Manhattan. Like, that's what I do." And and um, 
I went and looked at it, and I was like, okay, it's great. I have no idea where I am, but it's great. And I, I mean, I was really naive about Williamsburg and Brooklyn in general. I just, it wasn't the life I was living. And, and um, we kind of kept going back to the space and going back to Williamsburg and walking around on weekends and understanding it better. And after a few months, it kind of just became like, okay, we have nothing to lose. The space is really incredible. It like, is incredible. There's a lot going on in this neighborhood. There's sort of a built-in clientele. There are 9 million condo buildings surrounding this building. What's the worst thing that could happen? And we we kind of made the decision to do it. And I, you know, and everyone said, oh, you're going to move to Williamsburg. You're, you're, you're going to become such a Brooklynite. And I was like, no, that's <laughs> never, actually never going to happen. Um, Chef John Frazier bet me $20 that I'd be there in six months. Um, 20? 20, just 20. There's 20, but (laughs) yeah, big spender. Um, But it turns out that, I I mean, opening Williamsburg has been been amazing. Um, And the best part of it has been becoming a part of the community, which I've worked in these very large restaurants, fairly corporate, often in second floors or third floors of buildings. Spiaggia was on the second floor. yeah. Of Oche, one of them was on the third floor. Um, the other one was in an office building. Right. And I've never really worked in a restaurant in, in sort of my, sh- as a cook I have, but not as a chef or an owner, obviously, where I Im- immersed myself in a community and, and sort of was an everyday restaurant and not a special occasion restaurant and a place where people could come two or three times a week or once a week or whatever. Um, and we've just met such fabulous people in Williamsburg that that to me has been one of the best parts of it. And, and it's really sort of formed what, what I want to do in the future and where I want to be in the future and, and things like that. I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I have since moved to Brooklyn. So, Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. I moved in September. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I well, did. Okay. I did. I moved to Williamsburg. It just it's, kind a very, of, it's a very, it it's made, a very hip thing I'm to very, be doing. I'm very hip. You I'm are very, hip. very hip all of a sudden. Well, but it's, 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 it makes it more convenient it's, to be it's there. It's great. It's really and nice. I can walk to the restaurant. It makes a lot of sense. And you're open. Now, you're, the restaurant's open seven days a week, and you also have Cafe Lily uh, yeah. that you're doing the pastries and and, and yeah. more like aperitivos or something yep. at night. I mean, and it seems every time I've gone or every time, it's, uh, it's a wait list. It's, it's hard to get in. I mean, is the, are the people... Don't tell people that, Sherry. It scares them off. No, but are the people, is your, as your, it sounds to me like you have the neighborhood clientele, but there's also, we have both us Manhattanites like myself we, that are getting on the train and coming. We, we have both. We, we, we kind of estimate that in any given night, it's 50, 50 sort of Brooklynites neighborhood to, to non-neighborhood destination mm-hmm. diners. And I am thrilled about that. I mean, I think it's given me the best of the best of both worlds and we certainly, um, you know, I think the three-star review put us in that category. I think the being on the, the end-of-year Pete, Pete Wells list certainly brought a lot of national attention to us. So we have people coming from all over, um, which has been amazing. And, and I, I love having both, and I love that we're just sort of part of the New York restaurant community now, and I think we're not just considered this Brooklyn restaurant, which is, I think, what my maybe fear was in opening in Brooklyn, that I didn't want to get alienated sort of from from what I knew. And I don't consider us a Brooklyn restaurant. I just consider us a New York restaurant that happens to be in Brooklyn. Okay. (laughs) Well said. I'll take it. So um, 
I have two questions for you because I we we rescheduled the show, so I have to ask you two questions from past guests, and they're sorry, interesting. Sorry, I went good to questions. Italy on a on a last minute jaunt. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I, I saw I saw. First of all, your Instagram is fantastic. Thank People you. People should follow you. And I saw where you were. Your little Osteria <laughs> Francescana part of that. So good excuse. Okay. So first question was from my guest on episode one thirty three. I had on Matthew Peters. He's the 2017 head chef of of the USA team for that competed at Bacus d'Or, and also Philip Tessier. He was the coach in 2015 silver medalist. So, um, and they won. They won gold, which is amazing. Okay, totally amazing. So they wanted to know: Are you going to be the next Bacus d'Or candidate in 2019? <laughs> Definitely not. I okay. don't have those kind of skills <laughs> or patience. I totally admire what they do. I is it is not my thing. Okay. Definitely not my thing. It is way too technical for me. Thanks, but no thanks. No. All right. Next question. I just had on last week, episode 136, I had on Randy Weinstein of Fab Conference or workshops, which are taking place June 11th through 13th in Charleston. And you are participating, and she's very excited about that. So she wants to know, what do you hope to bring to Fab, and what do you hope Fab attendees will be able to walk away with? I hope just to bring sort of my story and my experience to people who are in this business and and looking to achieve the kind of things that I've achieved. And I I think my story is not necessarily unique, but it's certainly a journey. And and I think in particular, the last three years of taking time off and really figuring out what I wanted to do and and kind of ending up in this place where I have the restaurant that I would want to eat at every day and the restaurant that I want to go to every day to, to work in. Um, I hope that I can inspire people to, to do the, that and sort of not just follow the path they think they're supposed to follow. I think that's a great answer, and I think you will. Are you going? As of now, <laughs> I'm not going because I have a bunch of work-related travel in, in end of April, May, so it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a maybe. Okay. It's amazing lineup. Yeah, that's one of really... the reasons I wanted to do it. I was so honored to be amongst those people. I'm on a panel with Barbara Lynch, who's one of the people who inspires me the most, and and I hope to have a company like hers someday. And um, yeah, no, it, the lineup's amazing. Barbara's coming on my show. She has a new book out. Yeah, um, it looks amazing. So um, I'm going to have her on. No, and a lot of the people who are involved in the in the conference have come on my show, past guests. Um, so it's 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 a it's going to be a great conference, and I feel I'm going to be be sad if I don't go. So I might I might just go. Okay, but I will before we take a break, just because I just need to give the, sh- the shout out. I will be in Chicago at the Beard Awards, and I know that you are nominated for Best Chef New York City, and I'm rooting for you. Thank and you. I, I think that's amazing. Just that it's you're, pretty to be nominated. Excited. Yeah, I'm pretty know? excited to be nominated. It's very nice, especially amongst the group that I'm nominated with. It's awesome. Yeah, no, it's 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 yeah, it's a it's it's a great it's a great category and it is it's a tough category too because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. but it's just cool to be nominated it i is. mean that's that's the bottom line is that it's yeah. just nice to be recognized in that manner and um it's just it's it's been nice yes well congratulations thank you okay so we're gonna take another break and then we're gonna come back and play my speed round game and talk some industry news this is all in the industry on heritage radio network
Okay, we are back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Missy Robbins. It's time for my speed round game. What right. this is, is I name a couple of things and you just pick your preference. All right, go. All right, let's go. Do it. Here we, let's, <laughs> let's do, it. do it. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Uh, depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Uh, beer. Uh, sorry, wine. Hi. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. Wine. It's, there are no rules. Um, tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Mm, medium. Medium plates. <laughs> okay. Communal table or chef's counter? Wow, neither. Really? <laughs> okay. Neither. Don't. You're done. Private table. <laughs> like, I like chef's counters, but I guess I maybe... I cook in a kitchen every yeah. day. You know, I like to be... Yeah, like, okay. when I go out, I like to be away. Okay. Private table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Cooking on the line or expediting? Expediting. Lenders bagels or black seed bagels? <laughs> oh, wow. That's not fair, Sherry Bear. <laughs> That is not fair. This is a, this is our family connection. Uh, I mean, lend, we have lenders, here. obviously. You have to just lenders, go with lenders. From, lenders from the '80s, from the actual bakery in New Haven. Yes, I still remember every Sunday, visiting, every visiting Sunday, the factory with my dad. We would go pick them up, Here's and they had the best orange juice in the world. Oh yeah. Yes. Hi Marvin. Hi Marvin. Hi Marvin. <laughs> yes, we know the lenders. They're fabulous people. And they make fabulous bagels. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Ooh, tough one. Cheese plate and then dessert. Done. Manhattan, Brooklyn, Chicago, or New Haven? Oh, that's not that's not fair. Not fair? <laughs> Life is not fair. Manhattan. Manhattan, even though you're not living in Williamsburg. Manhattan for some things, Brooklyn <laughs> for other things, and New Haven for pizza. How about that? All right, that's very fair. That's the game. That's it? That's it. That was pretty easy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's very fun because everyone plays it and answers differently. Yeah, my answers are long. <laughs> they weren't They weren't terribly long, I like, but I like hearing the reasoning, so yeah. it was good. Okay, so industry news this week, a lot of celebratory stuff happening. So Food & Wine Magazine just announced its Best New Chefs 2017 list, and this was mostly curated by Jordana Rothman, who's new at Food & Wine Magazine. Kate Crater used to always do this list. Yep. And um, and Milu Matamit is the new uh, editor-in-chief. So this is this is always a, a very highly um, anticipated list. It's, it's And someone, you, were on this list in 2010. So... Um, but they, they picked, there were 12 chefs that are uh, from 10 different restaurants, and there were four women on the list. I mean, a few, it, it was, I think it was, you know, some I was familiar with, some I wasn't, but um, I, th- I think it's an exciting uh, list of chefs, and, and, and it's a great accolade to get. So some of the people on it, uh, Angie Marr, who's based here in, in New York City from Beatrice Inn, uh, Nina Compton of Compare Lipin in New Orleans, you had Peter Chow of Han Oak in Portland, and Jordan Kahn of Destroyer in Los Angeles. And um, yeah, no, it's what's yeah, it's your, cool. what's, I mean, well, you were congratulations yes. to all of them. I know what a big deal it is. And I know when I got that award, it, it was really meaningful to me. And um, 
it's it's kind of a big deal to be recognized and they're picking whatever 10 I think my year it was 10 people I don't remember but um it's just it's a really listen I think I think none none of us do this for the accolades and if that's why you're doing it it's it's not a great reason to do it um because it's it's a lot of work and I am definitely in a, a point in my career where I just want to cook for people at Lily and make people really happy and um, have them come back time and time again and feel like they're in my home. And, and that's how Lilia was created. But the accolades are really nice validation. And, and um, it's definitely changes your career to a certain extent and, and changes what you, what you may or may not be able to do or puts you in a little bit of a different position. And, and it's nice. It's, it's just nice. Um, and, and I'm happy for all the people on the list. I, I don't know most of them. I mean, I know who they are, yeah. um, but I don't personally know most of them. And it's cool to see kind of the direction that, that food and wine takes every year because it definitely is, is different every year. No, I well said. I, I'm very happy for everyone who, and I think I, I agree with you. I think you, you, you need to do get into cooking and become a chef because um, you love it and, and you're passionate about it. And then if accolades come, it's, it's wonderful. It's amazing when they come, it's amazing when they come, but I think they come when you're kind of the most relaxed and cooking. I I said, we we never expected a three-star review, for instance, at Lilia. That's not something we ever actually talked about. We never talked about how many stars we wanted or what we were going for. And, um, I think I kind of just let go and cook the food that I wanted to cook and didn't think about stars or Michelin or anything else. And, and I think when you're doing that and you're happy, it, it just comes out in your restaurant. Yeah, no, true. And I was last night I was at, they had the best new chefs party, which is very sad. I missed it. I was cooking at a charity event. I, I, there were people coming over to the party post your party. Yes. (laughs) Um, it was great. It was at this new venue. I, this new Renaissance Midtown Hotel that has this awesome rooftop. Oh, that, cool. It was a really cool venue, and it was a nice event, and uh, they did a really great job, and it was fun. To, I, I, I was yeah, bummed to miss I it. I was thinking I was going to run into you. No. But at another mm-hmm. event. Um, so, yes, congratulations to to everyone, and, um, yeah, job, job well done. So the other news that broke this morning at 6 a.m., if anyone was up in New York City. So uh, the 50 best rest, the world's 50 best restaurants list, uh, they had their award ceremony in Melbourne, Australia. And um, so our time, it, it took place at 6 this morning. And there was an article on Bloomberg Pursuits that I picked out that covered it. Um, but the big the big news part of this is 11 Madison Park is now the number one restaurant on this list. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Which is, yeah, Daniel Hume and Will Godera, uh, they were on the list before, but they weren't number one. And this um, U.S. hasn't had a, the number one spot since Thomas Keller. Uh, in 2003 and four was was that spot. So um, in Osteria Francescana, which was one, is now number two. So I think they'll I be mean, okay. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I, I mean, a little personal, like me being like spoiled fact is I. So out of the top ten, I've been to seven. Wow. And I've been to five by myself solo wow. dining. Yeah, that's kind of wow. That's amazing. Right? <laughs> I've all, I've been to eight out of the top fifty. Okay. I didn't. I have to go through the whole fifty, but that's still. Yeah, that's. I don't think my number is consistently as high through the whole fifty. It's just the top ten where they are right now. I've. I well, I took a trip to Lima this last year, and there's two on uh, Mido and uh, wow. Central are both in the and top ten. And you went 10. to both of them. I went to both. Wow, both were incredible. 
incredible experiences. If you, if anyone's in Lima, you should That's try cool. to go to both. Yeah, very different too. Mido is Japanese and Asian and Italian hmm. com- combination. Huh. So, cool. but kudos to them. I mean, everyone on this list is just just a huge thing, and you know, lists are lists, and but um, I'm just I'm just happy for them. Yeah, you know. They work hard at it. They do. Yeah. And and happy all the people that went out to Australia for this event. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a, quite a voyage. Yeah. But um, good stuff. Okay. So we're going to take one more break and come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week is at Rebel. Here's the rundown. The location, 218 Bowery, New York, New York. The concept, serving modern French cuisine in an industrial style space. The owner, Brandon McGrill. The chef and partner, Daniel Eddy. And the pastry chef, Melissa Wheeler. Why did I go? Because I was in the neighborhood and wanted to check out the new brunch. So my experience, I took a seat at the end of the bar next to three guys who were sharing a croissant. I soon found out that they were part of the jazz trio who got up to do a set, which was quite lovely to have live jazz music. I ordered, I ate, and I enjoyed the ambiance. So what did I get? So apparently that croissant they were having was the last one available because I wanted to get one and they had no more. So um, I was a little bummed I couldn't try. Melissa Wheeler didn't have any other pastries on the menu. But they had a fabulous brunch uh, savory list. So I went with a bib salad with fried egg, lardin, potato, and chevre on toast. And I also had coffee. So my take, the coffee was good and strong. The bartender brought me a second cup as I was waiting for my food to arrive. 
And I greatly enjoyed my salad. It felt healthy-ish, even though it had really tasty lardin bits in it. But uh, the egg on top is always a win-win in my book. So the ambiance is a vast, casual, yet sophisticated industrial space with a large bar up front. And in the way back, there's a chef's counter, which I had dined out a couple years ago and had a terrific experience. Because I do like chef's counters. <laughs> Perfect for solo eats at the bar or dining with friends. Interesting tidbit. Rebel recently started all-day service, so they're serving breakfast and lunch in addition to dinner. Personal fun fact. Pre-brunch, I had this awesome workout at Box and Flow, which is a new boxing and yoga studio from Olivia Young, who's formerly of Alta Marea Group. So I hope my post-gym look didn't offend anyone. That's what I was kind of hiding in the corner of the bar. Um, and by the way, I think I'm going to have Olivia on my show in the future. The cost was $20, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. Their website is rebelnyc.com. You know Olivia, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. She, it was cool. Boxing, yoga. Yeah, I know. I haven't been yet. I know. I'm due for a visit. Well, I was I due, too. Her. I was due, too. It was It was. I'm cool. not a class goer, you know, so I'm going to go do private. Okay. I like private. Private Like works. my private table. See? There's oh, a it's running, all private. There's a running theme I'm, here. There is. Yeah. I'm getting it. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Yes. Okay, so... You wouldn't guess it by knowing me, but... Now, I don't know. I, I get the reasoning, though, of, of the being, with the dining especially. Yeah, like you kind of just want your time with whoever you're with. Yeah, yeah, separate. Yeah. So, okay. Next week, my guests are Larry Campagna and John Tobin of Shamut Design and Construction, which is a national construction management company. Larry is director of business development and John is director of hotels. So for the final question, what would you like to ask them, Missy? I want to know what they, first of all, I know them. I don't know oh, them. Do? Well, they built a uh, voce. Ah. Um, Shamit built a voce. They did a lovely job. Um, but uh, I would want to ask them, I've been thinking about this since you sent me the question. Um, <laughs> what is the primary thing that they would look for in real estate when looking for a restaurant space? Okay. <laughs> Good Good to know. I mean, good question. I'm curious. I'm am curious just to talk to them in general and yeah. their whole process. Yeah. Like, uh, it's I it, I feel I know nothing about what they do really. Like how like the the nuts and bolts of it. You it's know? hard. Yeah, I'm sure. I'd like. I'm going to listen to the show so I can learn too. Okay. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> and that's the show. I mean, I wish cool. we had more time. We could we could dive into all yeah. the events you do and and everything else. But that, a lot going you, on. A lot how you run on. the day to day. But um, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, and I'm just I've I just admire you so much for your career and the moves, the hiatuses you've taken, and the the figuring out what works best for you. Thank and you. Congratulations thank for you. all your success. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Yes. So my guest today has been Missy Robbins. She's the head chef and owner of Lilia, a three-star New York Times restaurant bringing the best of Italy to Williamsburg. You can follow her on Instagram at Missy A. Robbins, at Lilia New York, and at Cafe Lilia. You can also follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All in the Industry, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher. 
Thanks to my engineer, Vitor. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.